Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading is taken from Genesis 1 27, Ephesians 5 31 to 32, 1 Corinthians 6 13 to 20. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever commits sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Tosha, for the reading. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to those watching us on um, uh, on uh, live. Yes, on the screen. We're happy to have you all. And uh, particularly if you are a new person here or you've not been here in a while, we are so happy that you've come. And you've come, you've joined us. Um, we are just starting a new series. It's a three-part series, so it's a short series. We are looking at a particular topic um, after going through a long series where we went through the whole book of Galatians. So I, c- I encourage you, if you want to uh, listen to that series, it was a really good series, I think. Uh, please check out our podcast. Anyway, um, it's a couple, uh, my wife and I, Tosi and I, we, we do premarital counseling, right, to, to a number of people. We do premarital counseling just before they want to get married. Um, and so a number of years ago, uh, well, not some, a while ago, um, we were counseling this couple. Now, I should explain a little bit. We were counseling this couple, but this couple was also being counseled somewhere else. Why? Because, as you know, a lot of us, you know, City Church is a, is, a, is a relatively new church. And most of you were raised up in certain churches. You owe them, and you want to go and ma- get married in cathedrals or what have you. So it's always their own time to get their own back. So they are going to get married in their parents' church. And the parents' church said, if you are going to get married here, you need to get counsel, which I actually totally support. So they were getting counseling. They had to do a crash course of counseling in their parents' church that is not in Lagos. So it was really interesting. It was a two-day crash course, I think four, four hours plus each of it. So they are now on the second day, and they're getting towards the end. And so the man that is counseling them, he needs to shift to the last topic. You know, you, keep, you save the best for, for last. So he starts off. Now, at this point, the couple are like, they are so exhausted. They want to like, they want to just die, like, they just want to go. They, are, they have it was an attrition of their will. So at this point, they will answer anyway. So the man asked the question, and he was famous for answering questions where he, he would not, 
give in until they answer it the way he wants. So he asked the guy a question. What will happen if you are stuck in a room, locked room, with a naked woman? What will happen? The guy's like, my God, what, what kind of... I don't, I don't, I, I, he tried, he said, I, I don't know, I'll try and... I'll, I'll shout. <laughs> said, the man didn't agree. He said, I'll, I'll try and find a way out. The key is not there. The man didn't agree. He was looking, looking. So after he had tried so many things, the guy just said, okay, I'll be aroused. I said, mm-hmm, you'll be aroused. So then he now looked at the lady. What will happen if you are stuck in a room with a naked man? And the lady was like, oh, I am not going through this whole, I'll just give this guy what he wants. She said, I will be aroused. The man said, no, you wouldn't. Ah, give you the right to be aroused. He said, men, he said, I don't know why I keep it. He said, men are moved by what they see, but women are moved by what they hear. Give you right to be aroused. He now told them, Come, come, let me show you something. So he now brought them up, and he then showed them this thing, something similar to what you see on the screen. He said, he said, you see, with men, you see, with men, when it comes to, sorry, when it comes to sex, you can see that the men quickly get aroused and they go, but the women, they, it takes a longer time, and so this space here is called the arousal deficit. So he spoke to the guy. He said, you know what to do to close the arousal deficit. You can go, and that was the end of their sexual talk. And guy's like, you see, <laughs> I, like, I imagine my look like, we did it. <laughs> we talked about sex. <laughs> and that was it. That was their premarital talk on counseling. And that is really reflective of how we Christians like to talk about sex. It's a very awkward topic. Whereas, actually, in 1990, some of, I can't, where is he? I can't spot him, but at this point, you know, in 1990, there was a group, a female group that came out with a song. The song went something like this. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. For those of you that know it, you, Lola, first of all, how do you Taiwo, well, Taiwo, I can't, but, but. Now, what was that song about? The song really, you see, in the 80s and as you're entering the early 90s, the big thing was AIDS. And so this group were saying, hey, look, why are we, they were, they were, they were, they were the song was about safe sex, uh, but they were also trying to say, uh, push back against the censorship that existed in the mainstream media at the time. And they said, look, we should be talking about sex. Let's talk about the negative aspects of sex. Let's talk about the positive aspects of sex. Now, here's the thing. Many times when non-Christians talk about sex, they seem to be obsessed about it. They talk a lot about sex. But actually, what the result is, is that they talk a lot about sex in unsatisfactory ways. But when we Christians decide to talk about sex, when it isn't awkward, like our uncle that was counseling us, when it isn't awkward, we have a a posture that everybody knows. I call it the posture of no. You see uh, some people kissing on the TV. Change the channel now, now! <laughs> right? Um, Daddy, there's a, a friend of mine uh, that wants to come. Oh, fine. You're, you're a lady. When, uh, when can he come? He what? No! No, no, no. And then, of course, in the church, it is always about you, what you can't do, what you can't do, why you can't, why you can't. Somebody told me after the first service, he said he was 25 years old before he knew that actually God created sex. He's been, he's been in the church since. Now, the thing is this. When you combine the unhealthy ways both Christians and non-Christians talk about sex, it's little wonder that both outside the church and inside the church, people are engaging in a lot of sexual activity in unhealthy ways. Yep, including members of this church. I need to go silent. 
And the problem that we face, really, I think, is that we have a sex problem not because we are engaging in too much sexual activity. No, that's not the reason. We have a sex problem because we are not engaging in enough good sexual activity. And if we are going to make that transition, we are going to turn that tide, we must understand sex better than we currently do. And that is the reason for this series. It's going to be a teaching series because we are going to dive deep into the Bible to learn, to learn about, wait for it, the most positive and the most radical view of sex that you can find anywhere. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> now, by, so my prayer and hope is that at the end of this series, this short series, you will not be scared of sex. I'm sure some of you, that doesn't even apply. You will not devalue sex. You won't misuse sex. You have, but you have a healthier engagement with sex. But most especially, I pray that at the end of this series, the mystery of sex will point you to the mystery of the gospel. That said, for us to now consider sex today, we're going to talk about what the body that we use sex for. Uh, to achieve sex, you need the body. Anyway, we've titled this uh, series, uh, this sermon, Sex and the Body. And we will, do I normally drink after I've said it, or do I, I did drink before? I'm trying to break it. I think it's before. We are going to look at under three headings, interpreting the body, devaluing the body, and restoring the body. Interpreting the body, devaluing the body, and restoring the body. All right, let's start. Interpreting the body. Hands up if you've ever heard the expression, or you've used the expression, body no be firewood. Yeah, yeah. You must have. I even hear, I think I didn't let the gold on his last album. He had body no be firewood, right? You can go and listen to it and... Um, I think it rivals uh, Marvin Gaye's sexual healing. Now, when I say you can go and listen to it, please, don't, I'm not endorsing it. Though. I'm not encouraging. So, understand, it's for analysis' sake. <laughs> now, what does body know before would really mean? Well, I think that phrase eh, is a funny phrase because it serves to achieve something. It serves to stop doing something, but I think it still ends up doing what it's trying to avoid. What do I mean? Body know before would, you are basically saying my body does have feelings, and it's not like firewood that doesn't have any feelings. And so don't treat my body like firewood. My body actually has sexual urges. Now, the problem with that view is like what the, is stated here in the in Corinthian church, right? When they wanted to talk about sex, they said they likened it to the stomach and food. See verse 13. You say, Paul is telling them, this is what you say. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Look, what is the body for. In the same way, when the stomach is hungry, you give it food. When the body has sexual urges, what do you do? You give it sex. Because body will be firewood. But in other words, you are saying that the body really doesn't mean anything. It's just something that needs to be fed for the other thing that we are really trying to satisfy. You see, there was a quote-unquote prophet that founded the religion. The prophet uh, somewhere in the east, right, around China, his name was Mani. Mani came up with this concept, a duality concept, and basically he's saying this. You see you, your body, and your spirit or soul, let's call it, the inner part of you and the outer part. He says that outer part, the material part, at worst is evil, at best is neutral. The outer part, the, the body, is at worst evil, at best neutral. But the inner you, the inner one, ah, that is good. Spirit is actually good, matter and body is actually bad. Now some of us are looking at it and say, well, well, this is the problem. All these philosophies, and the philosophy was called, or religion was called manichaeism. Right? Like all these philosophies, well, that's why they come up with weird things. Who follows that? I mean, we Christians would never follow that. Have we? Except maybe you've ever heard, or maybe you believe in the, I am a spirit, but I live in a what? How many of you have heard that before? You said it. Maybe you believed it. Maybe you've taught it. Maybe you still believe it. You know what you are basically saying? You are saying the real me, the real me, you can't see. Some people even take you say, hey, my spirit man. You see, that's really me. But this one, I'm just carrying, this body is actually carrying the real me. And I want to prove to you just with one example that that thing is absolute nonsense. You know why? 
If somebody came, I mean, the lawyers here, hands up, lawyers, lawyers, even if you didn't practice law, yes, God bless you all. All right. If somebody came to meet you, come and represent me. You know why? This person came to try to gouge my eye. They tried to remove my eye. Now my eye is damaged, right? When they come to meet you, when do you want to sue them? Do you sue them for property damage or for personal assault? Ah, but I thought that my body is just something that I own. I thought my body is just something that I carry. If this body is just something that you carry, then it is actually something that you should sue for personal damage. But no, we sue for personal assault because the body is not just what you carry. You don't just live in a body. Your body is you and you are your body. Amen. Because really, think about it. If the body is neutral, then at best, the, 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 the sex that we commit with the body will be meaningless. At worst, if the body is evil, the sex that we commit with the body will be wrong. But when you look in Genesis 1 verse 31, it says that God created everything, including our bodies, and what God created is good. So if the body that God created is good, guess what? The sex that we commit with the body is also good. I said the body that God created is good. How do we see that? How do we know that? Well, I think we are forced to interpret the body to see whether it is good or not. Whether the body says a whole lot more. Because I want to guarantee you this. The body actually speaks. The body actually says a lot of things. So let's go a little bit deeper. Are we ready? Let's do a little bit of what we call body theology. Body theology. Turn to your neighbor and say, my body isn't just biological. My body is theological. Let's break it down. Genesis 1 verse 27 says this. God created, let me, uh, where is it? I can't find it. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created mankind. How many mankinds? How many mankinds do we have? One. But he created them male and female. So let's break that down. Mankind. God created mankind. But before, after, before he created mankind, you know he created some other creatures. We call them animals. But he said he created mankind in a way that is distinct from animals. Because he created mankind in his image. How will we be able to spot that difference? What is the quickest way to know between someone that is a human being and someone that is an animal? The most distinct way. That even a child of six months old or a child of one year old can know. Do you know? This is not inside. Don't say that because men, human beings think rationally. Okay, one year old child does not know. Do you know how they know? They look at the body of an animal and they look at the body of a human being. And they say, there is a way these ones are constructed and the way they have their features that make them different from these other ones. We can see the distinction of God creating human beings distinctly from animals just by looking at the body. But secondly, he says, even that mankind though, male and female, he created them. My five-year-old Timlein, when he was two years old, we used to, I used to read some books to him. He doesn't you know, know much, so it was illustrated books. And they would draw these illustrated books, very, very cartoonish, right? The neck is just like one thing, the, you know, the hands, they're all, they're all the same. There's no much difference, but I could always say, Timmy, is that a boy or a girl? It's a girl. It's a boy. How did he know the difference between a boy and a girl? The way we can immediately know, just like, you know, when the baby comes out and you didn't check, we should, we should never check the sex of a baby. You can find that in Psalm 82, verse 5. All right? Don't open it now. Just look at me. What when a baby is coming out? Are we looking for... Do you like blue? Do you like pink? It's a boy! Why? Because you saw something there that women are not meant to have. In other words, the male and female that God created in his image, we can know that difference. Where? How? By looking at what? The body. The body speaks. And those male and female, because they are part of one Mankind, one humanity, even though they are different, 
Their difference is not one is one of complementarianism. That is, they are complementary. How do we know they are complementary? Even though their uh, sexual organs are different, they are able to fit with one another. Ephesians 5 verse 31. That's why he says that the two shall become what? One. Because the two are part of the one humanity. All to be seen through the body. You know what I just explained? That is create, creation theology given to you just by looking at human bodies. The man and the woman are able to now commune because they are a complementary pair of the same part. But turn to your neighbor and say, wait till there's more. Because our bodies are not just simply what you see. Our bodies are a profound mystery. Look at verse 32 of of chapter 5. It says, uh, I've missed it again. This is a profound mystery. This is a profound mystery. Mystery. What is he going to talk about? Remember, the male and female were able to commune because of their complementary differences. But now he's going to show us other communion. So the first communion, he says, this is a profound mystery. What you see with this one flesh union on the body is actually pointing to another deeper communion. What is that communion? He says, I'm speaking about Christ and the church. Are you getting what this is saying? When he says Christ and the church, earlier on he said to the men, he said, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he laid down his life for her. That is what the Christian faith is built on. That is the gospel. He's saying you don't only have to read the Bible to understand the gospel. You can look at a human being, male and female, and on their body, because they can't be united physically, on their body you can see what Christ means to the church. He's saying that look at the body and you see gospel theology. Oh, but there's more. Because there's another communion. Take it back to 127. He says, mankind was created in God's image, male and female. So there's something about God that we can see by looking at his image bearers. Most of you have looked at mirrors this morning, isn't it? Now, what you see in the mirror, the image of yourself in the mirror is not you. Is it you? Is it you? The image is in you, but the image reflects you. The image is really made up of lights, right, coming together, but the image is reflecting something outside of itself, but it resembles that which it what is reflecting outside of itself. In the same way, God is saying, I have created human beings in my image. You can't really know me as I am. But if you want to know something about me, look at the body of human beings. In other words, God is speaking in sign language by using our bodies. He created them in his image, male and female, he created them. What do we see in our bodies? Well, we see one humanity, but at the same time we are diverse. Therefore, we can commune. One humanity, but we are diverse, therefore we can commune. You know what? God is one. He is diverse, and therefore he communes. Don't forget, it is one God that created the world, but he said, let us. So God is one, but God is not singular. Let us create mankind in his image. And he's saying if mankind can commune because they are diverse and complementary, then the father and the son can commune as well as the spirit goes between both of them. Do we understand this? He's saying in your bodies is written. You can interpret the body and see something about the one who created you. Your bodies are not just anybody's. Turn to your neighbor and say, wait, there's more. So if we see the communion, the male and female communion leads to this Christ and church communion, but also shows us the intra-Trinitarian communion. Don't forget, we just said that God speaks in sign language to our bodies. That is, he's saying, if you want to know something about me, look at human bodies. But guess what? There is only a limit to which I can see God in humanity. He is there. But if I wanted to know God a whole lot more, it would be nice for the, invis- the invisible God to make himself visible. It would be nice, as 1 John 1 says, for the invisible God 
to be seen with our eyes, to be heard with our ears, to be felt with our hands. If that is possible, he needs to appear. So maybe he's going to come like beings, the most magnificent beings. Maybe he can come as angels. But God did not take on the body of an angel to be able to come and live with human beings. You know what he did? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And John 1, 14. The word became what? He took a human body. For God to be visible to human beings with human bodies, he himself became a human being by taking on what? A human body. Colossians 2 verse 9 says it even much more forcefully. It says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Another translation. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. Your body isn't simply what you see. It depicts an incarnational reality. So somebody then comes and then says, why are you Christians so forced out about the human body? And you say, well, do, uh, why not forced about it? Apart from the fact that it depicts creation, it depicts the Trinity, it depicts, it depicts incarnation, and also it depicts the gospel. Other than that, the body doesn't mean anything to Christianity. No, but you understand, these particular truths are the truths upon which Christianity stands or falls. Your body isn't just what you see. It is an incarnational, it depicts an incarnational reality, and it is a profound mystery. So that when somebody comes to you and says, my body is just matter. You should respond to that person and say, your body truly is matter. But this matter isn't just matter because body matters really matter. Stop devaluing your bodies. It may look that I'm just trying to groom it. It may look like uh, the hair is falling out and now I have to go and get somebody else's hair and all of those things. Forget the wig. The body says a whole lot more than that. For in you is depicted the creator of the universe, the gospel. Oh my God, I wish we would see ourselves the way God sees us. But we often devalue our bodies. Why? That takes me to my second point. I don't know if you've been mistranslated before, you know, or you've witnessed a mistranslation. Right? I remember a couple of years ago, the Americans wanted to give the Russians a button for reset, and then they ended up not calling a reset. I think they said it was, they put something in Russian, and it was the wrong translation. Hillary Clinton was giving it to Sergei uh, Lav Lazarov. But sometimes, well, that was hilarious. I would say many hilarious ones. But sometimes mistranslation can be very disastrous. Very disastrous. Like there was a Coast Guard, a German Coast Guard, first day on the job. Yeah, you have gone to school, done all everything. But you know, first day of job, you are a bit nervous. So they show him all the things that he needs to do. This where this is situated, this where this is situated, all right? And then they left the guy. And as they left the guy, he hears his first emergency call. And this is what happens. Mayday, mayday. Hello, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you... Over. We are sinking. We are sinking. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. We are sinking. We're sinking. What are you thinking about? May God not allow us to fall into this kind of... You, you understand? It can have disastrous consequences. And let me tell you, the enemy's tactic with our bodies and sex is always to continue to mistranslate it. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Frederick, have you, has somebody ever given you apples before? Or have you ever bought apples? So if I showed you three apples, you would know it's three apples. Have you ever seen two apples? How about one apple? If I give you zero apples, uncle, have you ever received zero apples? No. Has somebody ever, you see, look, sometimes my wife's birthday is in February, my, and Valentine's Day is in February as well. Do you understand? My children's birthday, both of them in January, and then you had December, dirty December. So if you meet me in February, I'm always not happy. So usually I have to choose between February 20, my wife's birthday, or February 14. I choose one of them. But on the other one, 
I give her zero gifts. I give her gifts, but zero gifts. Do you understand what I'm saying? Guys, this, this, I know all the women are not agreeing. Guys, this is a tip. Because we all know that zero is a number. If I can give one gift and three gifts, why can't I give zero gifts? Do you understand? No. No. Because, because, because zero actually is not a number. Zero is a description of the absence of numbers. It doesn't exist. Just like none of us have ever seen darkness before. Because darkness was never created. Darkness is the absence or the distortion, let me give you another one, the mistranslation of light. And it is in that same way, do you know that evil cannot be created? Because for evil to be created, you either need God to create it or Satan to create it. Let's examine God. God, we know, is the creator, right? He is the creator. But we also know this, well, you may not know this, but they teach a lot of this in seminary, all right? Profound truth in seminary, and this is really deep. But it goes something like this. God is good. Oh, you learned it. And all the time. Wow, you guys are really deep. If God is the only creator and God is good all the time, then he cannot produce what he doesn't have. He can't create evil because he's always good. But Satan, let's go with Satan. If God is good all the time and all the time God is good, let's go deeper. Satan is evil and all the time. Therefore, but Satan is not a creator. Therefore, he cannot create what he is. So how does he bring about evil? He mistranslates the good. How does he bring about lies? He mistranslates the truth. How does he bring about ugliness? He mistranslates what is beautiful. How does he then mistranslate the meaning of body and sex? He points away from what body and sex are pointing to, which is to God. He ends up pointing it to you alone. This is what is at the heart of sexual immorality. Sexual morality tells us that there is a good, there is beauty, and there is truth in body and sex. But Satan comes in with sexual immorality to them mistranslate it. Do you understand? This is what he's doing to a lot of us. He tells us that this thing is, it means something different. He tells us that it's about body, not be firewood. He tells you that you should fulfill that. Now we know this truth. Well, how does the church respond? The church quickly comes in and says, verse 18 or verse 18, free sexual immorality. I don't want to see you near the girl. I don't want to see you. I mean, for instance, Shama and uh, Toby, why are you sitting next to each other? Don't you understand? Free sexual immorality. We start saying, no, don't do this. No, don't do that. But what is Paul's response? Paul warns against sin, not by saying no, but by saying, do you not know? Turn to your neighbor and say, do you not know? Talk to the other neighbor and say, do you not know? This is the revolutionary way that we are meant to respond. It is not by just telling people with the force of the will, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. It is by saying, look at this truth, look at this truth. Don't you understand that if you are this, then you should not do this. And so in verse 15, Paul says, do you not know? In verse 16, Paul says, do you not know? In verse 19, Paul says, do you not know? He wants you to understand the biblical prohibitions against sex on the basis of knowledge. Do you not know? So let's examine those three do you not knows. First one, do you not know that you are, verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? You see, there is something funny. I'm going back to the Manichaean heresy again. Sometimes when it's convenient, and I'm not going to, I'm not condemning anybody here. I'm just trying to explain what happens. Sometimes what we do, we don't, we don't say the Manichaean heresy. We just leave it out. We leave it out and we put some Christianese on it. So for instance, when we say I've been born again, do you know what that means? I have a spirit man. My spirit man is now formed in me. And one John tells us that my spirit man Whoever is born of God does not what? He does not what? So he said, do you know that I can never sin? Because you see, the real me is not what you see. The real me is what God has actually done in me. And so the what God has done in me cannot sin because one John tells us that I can never what? Sin. But when I get angry, it's not me. Do you understand? When I shout on people, it's not me. When I engage in sexual activity, it wasn't really... Me. And then some people even say, no, when we are forgiven, it is done, done, done. I don't have to ask for any kind of forgiveness again. 
And so what then happens, now most of us don't say it as crudely as that, but what then happens is this. You know, verse 17 says that whoever is united with Christ is united with him in spirit. So you see, God is looking for worshippers that worship him in spirit and truth. So maybe last night I, oops, fell and just, you know, but you know, God is looking for worshippers in spirit. So you just come to church on Sunday. Here's my worship. Here's my worship. Worship. He says that you are not just united to Christ in spirit, verse 17, but in verse 15, he says, your bodies. Why? Because as Anita Baker told us, we are not just spirit or soul, we are body and soul. I've got to know, oh, body and soul, that you've got no doubt inside and out. We are whole. We are whole, what? Body and soul. Don't leave me out in the cold, just love me, body and soul. She is absolutely right. Because that's what the Bible teaches. You are not just a, you are not a spirit living in a body. You are not a spirit that owns a body. You are not a soul that owns a body or lives in a body. You are a body spirit, a spirit body. That is why when those who follow Christ, when you follow Christ, you are not just baptized in the Holy Spirit. You are also baptized in water. Why? Because you are a body spirit. Are you following me? And in that regard, you cannot then separate what you do with your bodies from what you do with your mind or what you do with your spirit. They are connected. This is why in Romans chapter 12, he says, brothers and sisters, I want to urge you, in view of the mercy of God, offer up your what? Bodies as a spiritual sacrifice. You know why? It concerns worship. Why? This is your, read it. Let's stop deceiving ourselves. Remember what I'm saying. It is the enemy that is at work. He's mistranslating. Do you not know? But the second one, he says, um, verse, verse um, 16, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. You know what he's saying? Do you not know that you are united with, the one, with who you engage in sexual activity with? Now, what Paul is going to do again here is going to enable you to understand what the prohibition is by highlighting the who and the what and the who, the activity and the person. Now, back up again in verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Notice what he did not say. He did not say, do you not know? that your sexual organs are members of Christ. What did he say? Do you not know that what? Your bodies. So what is the member of Christ? Your bodies, the whole body. So he then says, I cannot take the whole body and unite it with the prostitute. You know what he's saying? Yes, conjugal sex is a unity, but sexual activity itself, there is a unity. That is, it's not just what you do with your sexual organs, it's what you do with your entire body in a sexual act that he, he's saying is a unity with somebody else. Are we following? You know I was going there. Some of you know I'm going there. Yes, kissing. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going there because the Bible goes there. He says, when you kiss, what are you doing? You are taking a part of your body. Last time I checked, your mouth is there. Abby. You are taking a part of your body and you are uniting it with somebody. What is happening in the first service? Somebody said their saliva is being exchanged. Yeah, even the saliva that's coming from you, is it not to come in together? Swallowing someone's saliva, the other person is swallowing. You are united. We say, oh, no, Pastor, you are going so far. What about hugging? Ah, hey, well, let's talk about hugging. See, I hug, oh, I hug sisters here. I hug, I had the moratorium one time. Because in the church I was in, I used to hug a lot. And then two sisters thought that I was, I was actually going to propose to them. So I put a moratorium on hugging. So I hug people here. I hug, I hug. And I encourage, we can hug the opposite sex. You understand? But there's a way I hug my wife. Honestly, if I see any guy in this picture, I hug my wife in that way. What, what, what are you talking about? We know the difference between hug now. When, I, when I'm hugging you, I'm doing like this. When I hug, baby, you need to come in here. I'm trying to unite with my wife. Do you understand me? 
It has, it, the same thing with oral sex, all of these things. Why am I saying that? Again, Satan mistranslates. We always look at it as just sex. He mistranslates and he misdirects the thing. But what it is, is really sexual relations. And many people are got used to this phrase because a lot of people are confessing to me about it. They say, did you guys have sex? Say, no, but we did everything just short of sex. So now I use it for them. Did you do everything just short of sex? <laughs> We laugh. But you see, again, please don't get me wrong, because it can start to feel like we have this negative zone that maybe Paul is saying, ah, because you are united to Christ, you can't have sex. No. He encourages it a lot. In fact, husbands here, raise up your hand. Husbands, husbands, raise up your hand. I'm going to give you a favor now. Favor. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, 3, and 2, 4. You must memorize this. Memorize this in times of headache. You know what headache is? Each man should have what? Sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman with her own husband. The husband should feel his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife must fulfill her marital duty. It gets better. Verse 4. Verse 4. Verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her body. In times of headache, bring out the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7. The only slight problem is that he adds a feminist part too. There's a feminist part to complete it. He says, uh, and then the husband, in the same way, the husband doesn't have authority over his own, his own body. So we, we kind of live with it. My point is that he encourages sexual, notice he says sexual relations. He doesn't just say sex, sexual relations. Because sex, he, sexual relations, but he says the person does matter. The person matters. Because he's not a prostitute. When he's saying prostitute, he's not saying only prostitute. He's saying, Prostitutes belong to a category of the people that you cannot have sexual activity with. The only person you can have sexual activity, notice how many times, husband, wife. Why? Because the person you should be sexually united with is only the person that you have been publicly and legally united with. The, very, the price of your body should be the exclusivity of another person's body. Because even the communion between Christ and the church, it only happens because... The church is the bride of Christ. Are you understanding? Value yourselves more than our culture is saying. There is a whole lot more. Do you not know? But there's one more. Do you not know? In verse 19, he says, Do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that there is a particular real estate from real estate in this world that cannot be bought. Priceless. Most expensive. Now, if I ask you where, if I say, okay, for instance, you know, beachfront houses. Beachfront houses are really wonderful. My dream is to own a house on the beach, right? I just threw it out there because so I feel that there's somebody in this place or somebody watching. What, who is receiving? Oh, to buy for me. For us, eh, okay, eh, all right. All right, so... Beachfront houses, very expensive. Houses by the, they, because the land by the sea, and I can go philosophical about that, but I wouldn't. But the land by the sea, where sea meets the earth, uh, sea meets the land, it's always very expensive. I say, oh, that's the most expensive. No, some people just buy islands. Really expensive. It's in millions of dollars, depending on the size. All land, islands have been bought. Look, even Alaska, Alaska, the whole of Alaska was bought. U.S. bought it from, I can't remember, was it Russia? No matter how pricey, no matter how big, no matter how precious, they still all have a price, except one. Except one. Go to India. Go and find a, a Hindu temple and say, how much? I want to buy it. Go to the Buddhist and tell them, ah, this temple, that is, how much? I want to buy it. You cannot buy a temple. Because a temple is not just a place of real estate. A temple is a sacred place. In most religions, a, a temple is where the gods live. How do you put a price on where the gods live? But in Acts chapter 7, Stephen said, But the Most High does not dwell in buildings made of human hands. But then Paul says something absolutely radical. Where other religions, their gods go, their gods go to live in, 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 in temples made by human hands. He says that you... Your bodies are what? 
the temple of God, by the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Stop devaluing your bodies. God says that you are a piece of sacred real estate. You are without price. Don't allow the culture to tell you something different. Don't allow your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend to tell you something different. Don't allow your sexual urges to tell you something different. Don't allow Satan to mistranslate. You are more than this. Do you not know? Don't just say no. But we say, do you not know? Turn to your neighbor and say, my body isn't just urges and orgasms. It's a part of Christ and a temple of the Spirit. I hope we can see it. I hope we can. I pray to God that he opens our eyes to be able to see how much value that we have. And yet, as I say that, I can sense some people saying, it's a temple, all right, I understand. And now as I remember my past sins, I see that this is a temple in ruins. A temple in utter ruins. My third point, restoring the body. You see, because you say, Pastor Femi, you don't understand. I now get what you are saying. It makes me feel even worse because it's too late for me. I have so devalued my body with multiple sex partners, some of which I don't even know. I found them on a hookup app. Or in front of my family members, I'm this good girl or I'm this good guy. But somehow I found myself in this thing and God has convicted me about it. But he's convicted me so many times and yet I keep going back I keep giving it to my boyfriend. I keep giving it to my girlfriend. And what's worse is that I, I pretend. I counsel people against it. I enter into conversations and I pretend as though I am actually for what the Bible says, but I'm actually doing a lot of things. In fact, it gets worse, Pastor Femi. You don't understand. I have battered this temple with multiple abortions. If my body is a temple, then it's a temple in ruins. I have lost all hope. God will not want to have me back. So please allow me to just continue to live my life. Let me just take the ruins as it is. I hear you. I hear you. And I agree with you. In part, your body is a temple in ruins. Sin, sexual sin, actually does do that. But there are others here too are saying, yeah, that's my testimony. In fact, I was still engaging in sexual activity up until the early hours of this morning as I've come to church. And I keep doing it over and over and over again. But now I hear this and I know what to do. I am going to stop all sexual activity. In fact, I've been committing sexual activity for 10 years, so now I'm going 20 years celibate. Because I believe that if I do that, at least God will now see me as clean. You see, actually, both of you are in the same boat, and you don't know. It's a hopeless boat. Because the former, you already have accepted that temporary cannot be brought back together. But the latter, by saying that you can, you can bring it back together, you actually have no idea what the ruins are like. You're both wrong. You're both wrong because the solution to the distortion of the meaning of sex and your body is neither the continuous violation of sex and your body or a rejection of sex and your body. The solution is a redemption of the, of the, of the bodies and sex. That's why Romans 8.23 it says this. Look at what it says. It says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we are grown in what? What are we doing? We are waiting eagerly for the redemption of what? Your bodies can be. You say, but no, I have lost hope. And I'm telling you, no. Where you have lost hope, God hasn't lost hope. You see, in verse 13, they said that they were devaluing their body because they thought the body ultimately does not mean anything. The stomach will be destroyed, so food will be destroyed. The body will be destroyed, and therefore sex will be destroyed. I can live my life now because ultimately, in all of eternity, it doesn't really matter. It's going to be destroyed. You know what Paul said after that? He said, no, the body is not for sexual immorality. Why? The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. If the Lord lives forever, that means he has an eternal plan for your body. God hasn't given up on you. Neither should you give up on yourself. 
He's still going to do something with the body. He plans to redeem the body. And you say, how can this body, this temple which lies in ruin, how can it come back again? And I'll tell you how. Let's go back to real estate. Let's go back to the seafront. You know, sometimes, even though it is very valuable as we say, but you see, when you go to the Dubai Marina, you can understand why it's very pricey. When you go to San Francisco Bay and you see the houses there, you can understand. When you go to Miami Beach and you see the houses there, you can understand. But when you go to the coast of Lagos, the, the, the coast of Guinea, and you see certain slums by the sea, when we look at that real estate, we don't see any value there, do we? Most of us won't see a value, a value there, but there are few people that see value. They are called investors. And investors go and they see value there. And you know what? They are seeing something that we cannot see. When we see slums and a lot of disease and poverty, you know what they see? They are seeing that I can build something here again. There's something I can erect. I can clean up this place. I can put away this other thing. I can disinfect this place and then erect something here. You see, they are seeing a possibility that you cannot see. So what do they do? They end up buying it at a price, at a premium price. And you're like, this seems very stupid. I cannot understand. Just wait. What you see, what they do. Because when they go in there, and some people do this out of injustice, that's not my point. But when they go in there, they clear out the slums. After paying the price, they clear out the slums. And what do they do? They erect something again. They bring back something to life. Except that which has been brought to life is better than what existed before. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In John chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple. And what was he talking about? He was talking about what? His body. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. That is the message of hope that you need. You know what he was saying? He was saying this. You see, in his incarnation, he reaffirmed the value of our bodies. But when he said destroy this temple, he was talking about his crucifixion. His crucifixion was he took his own body and presented it for eternal ruins. So that your own body will not be eternally ruined. But in his resurrection, he's saying that there's still hope for your restoration. Jesus saw something that was in you that you could not see. You look like a slum, but Jesus saw value. And so he came as a human being. But he saw that you were in ruins. So he went to the cross for you. But just when you thought everything was over, Jesus rose back from the dead again. He said, I will raise it in three days. And Galatians, and then in 6.14, he says, if the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available, he will do it for you as well. Your body, this is not over. Your body is not over for you. God is able to restore you. God is able to say something new about you. Please don't be defined by your past. The past has gone. The past has gone. So when is the right time for you to flee sexual immorality? Say with me, now. Look, don't be defined by your past, I say again. When is the right time for you to honor God with your body? Say with me, now. When is the right time for you? Forget the past. When is the right time for you to sell your body at the right price? It is what? Now. What's the price? Verse 20 said, You are bought with a price, you are not your own. Christ went to the cross for you. I don't care what it is you have done and how many times you've done it. There is hope for you. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus. Love people, love Lagos.